Hello and welcome to episode 103 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. I hope you are all doing so well. It is such a joy that you are still tuning in after all this time and learning to do more and better by your bees. I just want to give you a cheer and a pat on the back. No matter how things have gone this summer, if you have put in the effort and you're still learning and practicing your skills, then you are doing great and bravo. Today, I'm going to read you an article, and I thought this was very timely. It's called Practical Mergers, Do It Soon by Zachary Lamas, and this appeared in Bee Culture Magazine, July 2020. So if you happen to have a subscription, you can look at the pictures because there's a lot of pictures. I'll be honest, um, I had to read this article a few times before I understood exactly what he was doing. That could just be because, you know, my brain melted at some point in the summer. But I am going to do a touch of narration at certain points in the article, and I'll try to designate those just by saying, this is Lee. (laughs) Okay, Practical Mergers, Do It Soon by Zachary Lamas, courtesy of Bee Culture Magazine. The adage among beekeepers is to take your losses in the fall. If you're a new beekeeper and haven't been introduced to this phrase yet, don't worry. The utility and ubiquity of this adage will soon be familiar. In short, beekeepers will often combine or unite two weak or mediocre colonies together into one overwintering unit. The idea is that by themselves, each colony has a poor chance of surviving the winter. When merged together, we increase the likelihood of survival. This is excellent beekeeping advice. The best beekeepers I know all merge small or weak units together by the fall. Uniting is simply another good management tool. In this article, I want to offer three thoughts on the subject. The first is a practical guide for those unfamiliar. The second is a twist on our attitude about unites. This should be a very positive part of our beekeeping, and I'll urge anyone to stop thinking of it as taking losses. The third is to do the unites earlier in the season instead of waiting for fall. How to. The colonies pictured in this article were united together in early August 2019 in Myersville, Maryland. I had recently moved these hives from another bee yard that was no longer available. When I moved the colonies, I put colonies of similar condition next to each other. The strong colonies were placed on the back three rows. The questionable colonies and the small nukes were placed beside each other on the front rows. My intent was to unite colonies that would not otherwise make it through winter. This also included any colony that would need too much intervention on my behalf to be ready for winter. I was able to reduce confusion as I was uniting in the yard by uniting weak colonies with their neighbors in a similar condition. The returning foragers would orient to the new colony easier that way. Here are the four nucleus colonies that were made late in the season. They are all queen right, all healthy. They are small, and without a lot of intervention, they would not survive the winter. As a beekeeper, I resist taking on a hero complex with my colonies. A hero complex is where we will do a lot of work despite overwhelming odds to make something survive. In this case, these small nucleus colonies would need a lot of my time and energy, donation of frames and brood and comb, and a lot of feeding. Instead, I am electing to unite them into one stronger unit. 
All right, I'll pause here, and this is lead. Zachary is a is a commercial beekeeper. Could be wrong about that. But anyway, he has a lot of hives. And now that I have a lot of hives, I get this this angle. Um, I am much more decisive about deciding on hives that are just too much trouble or too far gone or just not good enough to make it. And I don't hesitate those to combine those with, uh, with other hives. So there's that. But if you are a small hobbyist, you just have a couple few hives, you can do as much work as you want because it's your thing. And you, if, if that's what you want to spend your time on, absolutely. It's, it's good practice. You'll try things. You'll see how it works. So don't let that uh, thing <laughs> about hero complex get in your head because on a small hobbyist level, we can go the whole nine yards that a commercial or even a sideliner or even a serious hobbyist w- might not do, but that's totally okay because you'll learn a lot. This is still Lee. <laughs> Sometimes the thing you learn is the smallest colony that's able to survive your environment. That is what I learned the hard way several years ago. And so now my goal is to start off winter with a much bigger colony that back in the day when I had fewer colonies, I might try it and I might, you know, try to really feed them and then do all these, uh, do a, do a bunch of trick riding, you know, to get them, to get them through. But now I kind of have just, I've got good, strong hives category. And then I've got little nukes that in the past I tried to do in the wintering shed, but it turned out I had way better luck overwintering them over a larger colony. And I've covered that in the past, but um, I, I overwintered them over a double screen board. And this part I believe is important and a shim full of wood shavings, which I believe helps the moisture to not cause that little penthouse tiny nuke problems. All right, back to the article. Here's an example of a small queenwright nucleus colony. There are frames of empty comb where there should be honey stores. The population is not dense or not capable of preparing a proper winter population. The nucleus colony was made at the end of the summer flow and never had an opportunity to build up. That is more my fault than the bees. The queen is laying beautifully and the brood is pearly and white. As a beekeeper, I am stepping back from my urge to care for everything and to make a management decision that is good on the apiary level and good for the limited time I have. The queen will be caged and the bees united with other similar colonies. And so just a pause there. I I read the article a couple times before I figured out that since these are good queens, he cages three of the four and takes them away to do something with, I don't know. He might be selling them. He might be creating other colonies. Who knows? But he, at first I was confused. I'm like, why are we caging these queens? But it turns out of his four little nucleus colonies, he's basically taking the best queen, the most populous one, letting her be the queen for the winter. And then the other three are going off for other jobs that he doesn't mention. Back to the article. Here I've caught the queen and I'm about to cage her. In the background, on the left, I've transferred the brood and bees into an empty 10-frame equipment. To the right is the remainder of the small nucleus colony. I will place the last frame into the new home and remove all the original equipment. By working clean and removing the equipment, the forager bees will reorient to the new home instead of the old equipment. The next step is to add another colony to this setup. In the first image on the left, our new colony has brood and bees from the first nuke. 
The open nucleus colony in the front will be combined with this after catching that queen. I keep the brood together. We do not want to create artificial spaces in our brood chamber. Despite common mantra, uniting bees like this from different hives will not cause the bees to fight. So let me pause here. And for beginners, I want to just clarify a couple of things. So if he just set the frames out of these four nukes into 10 frame full-size equipment randomly, then you would have brood spread all over. And that makes the bees spread all over. It makes them less organized. So just by he is building this new bigger colony in the shape of a real colony, which of course is the central brood frames, the brood nest, and then surrounded by empty frames and stores and pollen and all that. And what he's saying about they won't fight, I wanted to really clarify this. If you put four nucleus colonies with their queens, if you just all put them in one box, they definitely would fight. And you don't know how that would turn out. But it is true, and I have tried it out. If you take fresh equipment uh, that that's not owned by any of the bees that you're going to work with, and then you dequeen the nucleuses, and then you set those frames inside the new equipment, which doesn't smell like any queen that they have allegiance to, there is a very, very minimal level of fighting. But basically, when you jumble a bunch of bees like that together from young, small colonies into equipment that doesn't smell like any any of their queens, then it, it does, there's enough confusion and enough disorientation, di- disorienting to the bees that, that they are much better. And also just all around nukes are not as bossy <laughs> as big colonies. So remember he's talking about nukes and he's also talking about now queenless frames of, of brood and bees. Okay, back to the article. The bees will not draw out frames in Maryland at this time of year. It is best to remove unnecessary frames like this. We want our bees to be more dense in the process of uniting. To the right, here's a shot of our two nucleus colonies combined into 10 frame equipment. The brood frames are together in the middle with food and pollen frames on the outside ends, on the outside ends. Extra and empty frames were removed. Notice that the original equipment was removed from the front so that the forager bees can begin reorienting to their new home. The white and blue nuke boxes in the photo will be the last colonies united together into this unit. The white nucleus is much stronger than the blue colony. The white colony will retain their queen, and she will become the queen of the new colony. The blue box and its bees without queen are transferred to the remaining space of the bottom box. Again, brood is placed next to other brood frames and superfluous empty frames are removed at this point. Because queens naturally supersede from top down, we will place the queen we're keeping with her attendants in the top box. First, we find her. This part's very important. We don't want to unite four queenless colonies. Can you see her? There she is. She is protected by a nice population of her nestmates. We don't have to cage her, spray any odorant, drizzle, sugar, etc. for successful acceptance. Instead, we will place her and all her nestmates in the nest box, separated from the bees underneath by one sheet of newspaper. Within the day, the bees will cross the paper and become a united colony. 
We're almost done. The uppermost box is our queen right portion with a layer of newspaper separating the bees from the other three colonies from down below. I fed two to one liquid syrup in an internal feeder. At this point, I want to shake the remaining bees from the white box into our new unit and then remove the old equipment. All of the forager bees will eventually organize to the new colony. All right, so let me go back through this. So essentially what he's done is he's taken four nucleus colonies. He's put the population of three of those who were the small ones in the bottom box of a, a two-stack 10-frame. So he's fit them all in there. Again, all those in the bottom box are queenless, so there will be much less problem with any fighting. He has arranged those frames in the bottom box to make sense, to create a central brood nest within frames of pollen and stores on the outside. Then he's put a piece of newspaper down. In the top box, he put the frames from the best queen right nuke with the queen, and he visualized her to make sure she was there. And then he filled it out with some frames of stores and a feeder. And then he shook the bees that were still in the nuke box from that queen right colony into the top with the others. And then he's making sure to take away all the old equipment as he goes because the old equipment will smell like their queen and a lot of them might drift back or just hang around. It just speeds things up if you combine colonies into fresh boxes if you have them and then remove the old boxes as soon as possible. And he also puts a feeder in there. I don't remember if I said that. And these two boxes are separated by newspaper because we know that a newspaper combine is very successful usually. So essentially, if you think about it, he's creating a, a pretty fat queenless colony on the bottom, which maybe you have that. Maybe you have a colony that is just not quite right. <laughs> For whatever reason, it's just not quite right. It's not sick. Now that's important. It's not sick, but it's just too small or whatever. And and essentially, he's installing a nuke, a queen right nuke on top of that with a piece of newspaper, which is, like he says, and like I've told you many times, is just a great way to then get a nice, densely populated queen right colony of bees. And you can go, as he did, from four to one in a day, they are going to be reorienting to be all one good sized colony. All right, back to the article. About five weeks later, this is what our united colony looks like. It's, it's a real good-looking hive. They have organized themselves. The queen is laying and producing healthy-looking brood and new bees. If the varroa is under control and the colony fed for winter, I fully expect this colony to survive the winter and to be booming in the spring. In the final photo, we are treating and feeding our colony. I understand beekeepers are torn between treating and not treating. To be honest, I am too. Ideally, I effectively manage my varroa via other management methods, but this year I couldn't properly manage all my yards. I want to be a good beekeeper in terms of parasites and diseases to my bees and on the landscape level. So in August, when I need a healthy, intact population to rear my winter bees, I am nipping my varroa with apivar. The red funnel is an easy way to fill a small number of internal feeders with syrup. At this part, I had... At this point, I have a healthy population and queen creating the bees for their winter cluster. I am choosing to manage my varroa by treating. With several more feedings, this healthy population will be ready for the winter. So this is Lee. So he's pointing out that extremely important bee math 
point, and that is the bees that raise the winter bees must be fairly healthy. They cannot be riddled with viruses and then raise a healthy winter brood nest. So if for whatever reason you've not been able to make brood breaks and then check and see if your mites are low to none, if none of that's true, then please check out the organic treatments and talk to your mentors about how to do that. Because if you can clean up your hives now in early August, then you've got a good chance of them making a strong winter bee population, which is what means you have a good chance of having a living hive come spring. All right, back to the article. Part two, timing matters. When we do something matters. I want to do this now in early August in my area instead of waiting for the fall. Time and temperature are a resource which the bees still have right now. This united colony has all the resources and population to rear more winter brood. By managing Varroa now, I ensure the Varroa population will not increase and continue to parasitize my worker bee population as they prepare for winter. By feeding now, I'm allowing the bees to take the syrup down into their colony to cure and store it where they feel it best fits. In short, I am allowing the bees to build in population and to restructure their colony as best they see fit. This is all possible because we still have time and warm temperatures as a resource. From the beginning of August until brood rearing dramatically slows in our area, this queen can work in two or three cycles of brood. Let's imagine if I waited until mid-September to unite these colonies. The queen would have two cycles of brood reared by small, nutritionally stressed worker bees. That doesn't sound like a good way to treat to rear a winter cluster to me. Additionally, there would not be near as many bees. The Varroa would have ample time to continue parasitizing these small populations. If I united in September, I would have to rush to feed the colony. As outdoor temperatures decrease, it takes the bees longer to consume their liquid feed. In many ways, I would be setting myself up to work and worry harder for a poor result. Instead, I united in early August. I had already decided these colonies were not going to grow or survive on their own. I decided to be proactive and unite. I did not want to take huge heroic acts to get the individual nukes to maybe survive the winter. This is not sustainable to the beekeeper. As it builds, I'm sorry, as it keeps the beekeeper in a reaction-oriented state. That's really true. I also received a positive reinforcement a few weeks later. The individual colony is now growing and looking strong for the winter. I am relaxed with my concerns about their survival and my management is simplified with fewer colonies. Part 3. Focus on the positive. Taking your losses in the fall, to me, always had a tinge of failure in the comment. Although it's great advice, it echoes... Quote, if you didn't miss a problem earlier, you wouldn't have to do this. Quote, I'd like to jump in here and say that's absolutely false. We are people first and beekeepers second. Whether you're a hobbyist, a sideliner, or a commercial beekeeper, you still need vacations, time for family events, time to rest your aching backs, or just time to relax on a rainy day. It means we won't be in every colony every minute. Mistakes are going to pass us by. Plus, life happens. Oh, boy, don't I know that this year. 
Okay. Trucks break down, equipment order doesn't get shipped, queens get rejected for mysterious reasons, or sometimes we just misjudge our management. Unites are going to be a part of successful beekeeping. I've shifted my focus away from fixing individual colonies in the late summer. It leaves me scrambling with extra work as a beekeeper. I don't like that, and the results are never what I want them to be in the spring. Instead, in my area, at this time of year, I make one of two decisions on a colony. One, the colony needs feed and treatment only. Or two, if it needs more than those two things, then I'm probably going to unite in some fashion. A majority of the colonies fall into the first group. It's only a handful of colonies that fall into the second group. By doing the uniting of these handfuls, they stop being the few colonies that take up the majority of my time. And that's the end of the article. And again, that's in Bee Culture, July 2020, if you would like to read it on the page. If you are a subscriber, then you can go into the archives and read it on the page on the screen or print it if you choose. And that was Practical Mergers, Do It Soon by Zachary Lamas. So I wanted to share this with you because this is a change that made a big difference in my beekeeping. And that is in the past when I'd heard all these quote unquote fall management things in my mind, in my mind, in fall is the leaves have started turning. It's getting cool, all those things. Then what I learned years in is once we get to cool weather, everything in the hive slows down and unfortunately that includes any type of organization, like getting themselves together. And that's a big deal because, I mean, just like he very carefully, he set up, even in early August, he set up the new hive in a way that mirrors what the bees would be aiming for. And that is the central brood nest surrounded by the stores. And by doing that, you just really speed up the colony. You speed up its time to get its feet under it and to get going because they are really in a race with time. The other thing is the whole feeding early. That is critical too. Now I'm just going to tell you, I have found an even simpler way to deal with that. (laughs) And it's also better for the bees. It's better for my back. And that is, I do not harvest near as much honey as I used to. I really try to leave a lot of extra honey because, hey, they're already fed. If I have capped honey frames and if I can, and it doesn't even have to be on any of these hives that I'm uniting, maybe I just have plenty of extra capped honey on a, on a hive that's doing great. And I can steal a few frames or Robin Hood a few frames from various colonies to give a colony later in the season, maybe their own super of honey that will be their stores for the winter. Anyway, that is even simpler than worrying about feeding. Now, some hives you have to feed because you don't have enough capped honey for them. But even with that, definitely start early. Since it is robbing season, if you start early, you want some type of interior feeder that does not attract the robbers, and you have to be real careful with that. But like what he's doing in this article, four small nukes would be at so much higher risk of robbing, attack, and distress than one full-size colony like he has created. And so that's a benefit he didn't even mention that they have a much better chance of survival for one, just because they are of a size that they can do all the components of getting ready for winter that sometimes the little tiny nucleus colonies, they just don't have the population to do. So I thought this was really important. I hope you all will begin thinking about this 
begin thinking about how heavy your hives are. If, especially if you harvested a significant amount of honey, you want to be thinking about that. If you haven't harvested much honey, then you'll probably have cap frames of honey to work with and to beef up any smaller, lighter hives. But here in the mountains in particular, we, our goldenrod crop, uh, I shouldn't say a crop, <laughs> to me it's a crop, it's a very valuable crop uh, to my bees, but goldenrod, you can have fields and fields of goldenrod and them not have a speck of nectar. I don't understand the mechanism, but an old beekeeper told me this, and sure enough, it is true. If you are not smelling the heavy, stinky sock odor of goldenrod when it's blooming in your area, then they may not be bringing in the nectar. And this can be a real eye-opener when you just see fields of it around you, yet you're be, you don't smell it and you don't feel any weight going in there. In my area, at least, fall flows are quite unreliable. We can have great fall flows on goldenrod and aster. Maybe, maybe we'll have that, but maybe not. And the times that I've gotten into a lot of trouble is the times that I just bet the farm on they were going to have a good fall flow. And then I was out there frantically feeding because they didn't. And by the time you know that, you know, by the time, like our aster might still be going, you know, in, in early October, but you are deep in the weeds if you have waited until then to try to add weight. Because if you feed late when it's too fall, too late in the fall for them to cap it, then they are going to go through winter with a whole bunch of uncapped frames which creates a lot more moisture and just a lot of potential problems. So this is really wise advice. And thank you, Zachary, for writing such a good, helpful article. And thank you, Bee Culture, for letting me share it with the readers. By the way, the subscription to Bee Culture, who won, won, J-U-A-N, won, W-O-N, last podcast, he still hasn't written me, so please, one, write because you won. And the email's blueridge714 at gmail.com. All right, I wish you all so well. For the ever patient and wonderful patrons who keep this show on the air, your next bonus podcast is not going to be long, but I'm going to start a series over there on the Patreon page where I just do these sort of mini podcasts that are a deep dive on a certain technique so that by the time you listen to that podcast, you will be able to do this technique. And the next one I'm going to cover, and I'm going to try to do that within the week. I'm going to try my best, Lord willing, to get to get that up to you. And that is to deal with laying workers. I keep ha hearing of people having trouble with laying workers. I actually had a drone laying queen on one of my returned queens, and that's a slightly different fix, but I will talk about drone laying queens and then laying workers and how to fix all that because it's not as simple as one would hope. So that will be patrons keep an eye on it and I'm really aiming for that in the next week and patrons feel free to rattle my cage and remind me to do that. <laughs> and you can send me messages and go, hey, where is it? I need that one. And because you're a patrons, I am going to do my very best because you all keep this whole podcast going. If you can believe it, the podcast is closing in on almost 200,000 downloads. And believe me, when we cross that threshold, we're going to do something special. But I'm going to sign off and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being listeners, for the wonderful ones of you who've left good reviews on Apple Podcasts. That really helps other people find the podcast through the algorithm. And most of all, to the patrons who keep the lights on. 
Y'all have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. I'm wishing you all the best with your bees and I'm cheering you on in every way. All right. Bye-bye.